Joshua chapter 9. It's a long chapter. Please stay seated while I read today. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, bring your Holy Spirit that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, our hearts attuned with you, that we might put aside whatever things, wisdom of this world that we would seek, whatever we think is what is right, but that we would rely upon you and seek your wisdom. The world calls it foolishness, but it is your wisdom that we would put aside our own agendas and, and simply rest before you and wait upon you. Open our eyes to this today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Joshua chapter 9. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowlands, and on all the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. When they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land, how then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This, our bread, was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn. And these, our clothes and our sandals, are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. And it came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chifharah, and Beroth and Kirioth-Jerium, 
And the sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against their leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them. Even let them live, lest wrath be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you are living within our land? Now therefore you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servants Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. Thus he did to them and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he would choose. This is God's inspired word for us today. Now I know as uh, Jan talked about the, the sermon title, I thought maybe it was for him or something. Maybe you're thinking it is uh, autobiographical today. Um, I don't know, but I can tell you There are many, many times in my life when I have acted stupidly, yet the Lord has protected me. The Lord has used whatever stupid thing that I did, either in my personal life or in ministry, and he has blessed it and and done great things with it. I can remember times in youth ministry where we, oh, I don't know, could have been arrested, should have been at the hospital, because the things we were doing were could be perceived as as off the edge. But yet, the Lord did a great work through those things. I can think of things in my personal life that, well, maybe I should have done, but I just didn't feel right about it, so maybe it was laziness that I didn't do it. Uh, and then I look back on it and see that if I would have pursued that, it would have been a catastrophe. But yet I waited upon the Lord. So there are things in our lives where we are simply plain stupid. And the Lord takes that and uses it for his glory. And then there are times where we are stupid and the Lord protects us from the consequences of our own actions. Now, if he waited for us to wise up and not act stupidly, would God ever get anything done through us? No, he would not. He wouldn't get much done because we as a people, and and I'm just going to lump you all in with me, are stupid. Let me illustrate, not from my personal life today, okay? The story of a man from Utah who married a woman. He was courting her online in this chat room, and uh, for off and on for some six months, uh, they were building this relationship, and he proposed to her online, and she accepted. Well, they met twice before the wedding, only briefly, and they had a wedding um, in 1996. Seventy people were invited, and they had this great wedding. Four years of wedded bliss went by, and he gets a knock on the door one day. It's the police. 
The police are there because his wife has run up some $60,000 in unpaid credit card bills. And it is the police who at that moment inform the man that his wife is also a man. (laughs) There are questions which I'm simply, I can't answer for you dealing with this. Okay. Obviously, it came as a great shock to this man that his wife was also a man, not the sharpest tack in the box, obviously. Okay, but my point is people do stupid things, stupid things. In our passage today, Joshua and the leadership of Israel make several stupid mistakes. They are stupid mistakes because all that they had to do, all that they had to do was go before the Lord and seek his wisdom and wait on his answer. That's all they had to do because at this time we have the Lord coming and talking to Joshua, communicating to him exactly what the plan was. You know, he would have never taken Jericho with that plan, but the Lord had to tell him that plan. And then the Lord had to tell him there was sin in the camp. And then the Lord told him the plan to take AI. So all that he had to do was go and say, Lord, what should we do? We have been given a mandate to destroy everyone in the promised land. These people come from far away, they say. What should we do? What should we do? But they did something stupid. They acted on their own senses, their own desires, without consulting the Lord. But they also did something very good here. They also did something very good. They kept their word, even though it was painful to do so. They kept their word, even though it was painful to do so. So as we look through here, we're going to pull out some things and learn how God uses the stupid and how it is that when we make mistakes... We are expected to live according to our word that we give and the promises that we make. So let me go back, summarize the chapter. Israel has been given a clear instruction, wipe out everybody, don't leave anybody here in the promised land. The people in the surrounding lands, outside the promised land, they can leave alone. But the people in the promised land are to be judged because of their sin. The Gibeonites show up. They show up with some moldy bread, some old sandals. Joshua says, oh... What evidence do you give? And they don't just show the sandals and the bread. They show the wineskins. They show their clothes. And they say, we have come from a very far country. What country was that? They don't say. You would think that Joshua simply could ask some, some common sense questions here and say, well, how many days have you been on the road? Where are you from? What's the name of your people? Things like that. Joshua doesn't ask any of those questions. All, they, all he does is look at their provisions, which give every appearance of being old, crusty, moldy, broken down, things like that, from a long journey. Why does Joshua assume that it's from a long journey? Because they've told him it's from a long journey. But they've come from far away, and what have they asked for? A covenant, a treaty, okay, to be made. Now, if they're from outside of the promised land, why do they need a covenant with Israel? Why do they need a treaty? Because, you know, they have already said, we've seen the work of your Lord, we've heard of these things, that this land is going to be yours, and we want to make a treaty. Hmm, If they're outside of that area, why would they make a treaty? Joshua doesn't, doesn't seem to pass his mind. Doesn't seem to think about it. 
In actuality, these people are only 30 miles away. Their cities are only 30 miles away from where Joshua and the Israelites are camped at this time. They're very, very close, just north of Jerusalem. If Joshua had asked even the simplest of questions, he could have easily found out a couple things. And then, you know, you get on a little track and you dig and you dig and you dig and you find out some things. But he didn't even pursue it at all. So first, God's people were naive, naive. The, the real clue here to what is going on is in verse 4, or verse 3 and 4. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they also acted craftily, craftily. Other translations have the word ruse there, but this word craftily is also the same root, the same word that is used in speaking of the work of Satan. Satan acts craftily. Now, how did he act craftily in Genesis, in the early chapters? He didn't quite tell the whole truth. He said, you shall not surely die. Okay, and that inclination is you're not going to drop dead at that moment. No, well, he was true. You weren't going to die, but you were going to face spiritual death if you did what the Lord told you not to. Okay, the serpent acted craftily. So the people of God, as they go into the land that the Lord has promised, will not only need his power, they're going to need his wisdom as well. And it's not so hard to get the Lord's wisdom. Ask for it. And the scripture says, if you're in need, ask for it. Seek him first before everything else. Now, the language that is used here in the opening chapter, opening verses of chapter 9, is not the same language that we see back in chapters 5 and chapters 2, where the people shook in their boots. They were afraid of the Israelites. Here, the Gibeonites, well, they were a little afraid, but they were more crafty than anything else. Okay? Uh, perhaps they had been empowered because of they heard that the Israelites could be, were defeated at the first go-around at Ai. And maybe they said, we can sneak up and do something and make a treaty. Maybe they can be defeated. We don't know. Maybe if we can't be defeated, we can circumvent their plan. Now they come, and what do they come with to Joshua? Verse 9. And they said to him, your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan, Sihon and Og. Flattery. We're going to tell you how great your God is. We're going to tell you that his deeds and your obedience to him in this land They didn't mention anything about Jericho and Ai because that would have given them away. In this land has spread throughout all the known world. Your God is the greatest. Now, if I show up to you and I tell you how great your God is and how powerful, you know, you might think, yeah, that's right. He is great. He is powerful. Yeah, we did that. We beat up on those guys and and the Lord empowered us and nobody can stop us. And, And before you know it, you're full of yourself. That's exactly what they did. They kind of buttered them up, told them how wonderful their God was, how everything uh, that had gone on was fantastic. So our elders, verse 11, and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey. Go to meet them. We are your servants now. Make a covenant with us. And they hold up this moldy bread. Say, this bread was warm from our houses. 
when we started on this journey. That when, when we now it's dry and become crumbled. Look at these wineskins. We filled them when they were new and behold they're torn. And these clothes, look how shabby they are. Look how worn out they are. Now, these things are right in front of Joshua and the leaders of Israel. They see them with their own eyes. So they are now, they've ceased to walk by faith and not by sight. And now are walking by sight and not by faith. Again, all they had to do was go say, okay, we're going to take a day and seek the face of the Lord. We'll come back and talk to you in a moment. But they got caught up in what their eyes beheld, which they thought was obvious, but the obvious is not always what is true. I read a story of a woman. She was sitting in a parking lot in her car, and she was holding her hand to the back of her head like this. And a guy went in and saw her and didn't pay much attention to her. And when he was done with his business, he came back out and she's there. So he taps on the window and he says, are you okay? She says, I've been shot in the back of my head and I'm holding my brains in. So he calls, you know, 911 and they show up. And what had happened is she had been to the grocery store and left the groceries in the hot car had gone in, come back out, got in the car, the can of biscuits exploded. The top hit her in the back of the head, and when she went like this with her hand, she caught a little bit of the dough in her hand. And she assumed that that must be my brains falling out. So she sat in the car, just like this, waiting for someone to come. She didn't want to move. What she thought was true with her own senses was not true. It was biscuits, biscuits. See, Satan is a liar. We cannot be ignorant of Satan's devices. Some things that look to be true are simply not true. Well, I experienced that myself. Check it with scripture. Is it true? All they had to do was say, I see the moldy bread. I see your terrible clothes. I see this torn sandals. Let me go check with the Lord about whether this is true or not. Christians need to be discerning. Why do we need to be discerning? Because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking something to devour. That's his business. He is a liar. That's what he is best at. And what we think is true with our own eyes has to be checked with Scripture. We are living in enemy-occupied territory. Joshua was coming into an area filled with those who... God was going to bring judgment upon because of their sin. It was the enemy all around. He did not have the luxury of doing things his way. They tried that at AI the first time. It had to be the Lord's. He had to check with the Lord on everything, and here he did not check with the Lord. They relied upon external things. External things. Now, we don't know how they found out other other than um, it came about verse 16 at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors that they were living in their lands now somebody ratted them out uh, maybe one of the other cities or maybe uh, a captured individual or something Uh, uh, who knows but it's important that we understand what Israel does next they could have become very angry they've been lied to they have been hoodwinked It's their own fault that they've been hoodwinked, you understand. But they have been lured into a contract under false pretenses. Now, I bet any of the lawyers in this congregation could get us out of that contract in a heartbeat, right? False pretenses. 
But what does Joshua and the leaders do? What they do is to say, no, we have made this oath, and it is not an issue of our integrity alone. It is an issue of the name of God by whom we have sworn. Psalm 15 tells us the righteous man is the one who keeps his oath even though it hurts. Even though it hurts. Imagine how much better it would be in this world if people had that kind of character and integrity today. If we lived by our word. If even when it hurt, we kept our word and kept our promises. Israel had made this promise. They couldn't go back on it now. They had sworn according to the Lord. People will often promise you one thing to your face and go and do something else when it doesn't, you know, when it doesn't add up in their favor anymore. I guess the real test of our integrity is how we respond to decisions and promises that we have made when situations change. I remember uh, back in North Carolina one day, um, Judy and I were going to go out and, and we were going to have a babysitter. And the time came and the babysitter didn't show up. Uh, so we called, and she said, well, I, I got an offer. Basically, I got a better offer and ditched you and went and sat for somebody else. Okay, More money, more fun, better food at the house. I don't know what it was. Maybe a, a business deal that you have made and a promise, and now you're starting to lose money and you'd like to get out of it, but yet you have made a commitment there and given your word. How many times do we watch a sporting event and the call doesn't go our way or our team's way and we want to change it? No, this is what we live with. This is who we are. Agreeing to go out, I, I only go out with one woman, so, but agreeing to go out on a date and then all of a sudden you get a better offer. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I go over there. Okay. Agreeing to the sale of an item and setting on a price and then someone comes to you and offers you more money. That we've made an agreement. We've given our word in pledge, and we have to live and stick with that. Let your word be your bond. Scripture says, let your yes be yes, and your no no be no. And I know we often get into the habit of saying, well, frankly, or let me speak clearly or plainly, it should be, if this is your word, then that's as frank and as clear and as plain as can be. We don't have to emphasize, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Does that really give any more validity to your promise? If your character is such, it is this way. This is my word, and this is what I say. Joshua and the leaders had given their word. They had made this covenant. Now they had to live with it. Because it wasn't just their word. It was also the character of God that was involved with this. Joshua's problem was a spiritual failure. They had come from this victory. They had come from this great time of worship up in the valley of Shechem. And all of a sudden, they're, they're on this high that the Lord is with us and we can do anything. And all of a sudden, they forget to check with him on something as straightforward and as simple as, should we make a treaty with these people? Where are they really from? There's an extraordinary thing that goes on here. That God empowers Joshua and the leaders to do. And that is the grace of integrity. The grace of integrity. They take their sin on the chin. They did wrong. They didn't seek his face. They didn't ask his counsel. They didn't get on their knees before him and pray and wait. They just acted according to sight and not by faith. And 
bowled straight ahead, and now they were in trouble. And the whole assembly, all the people start to grumble. Well, didn't you check this out? Okay. How many of us have ever done something and someone came and said, well, didn't you ask this question? Didn't you, you know, check this? Didn't you check their background out? Didn't you ask? Didn't you check their references? Something like that. No, I just went right ahead because they seemed good to me. And now we're in trouble. The Israelites took it on the chin. They kept their promise. They kept their word to the Gibeonites and they allowed them to live and they honored their bond in that way. Now, let me tell you about the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were to be hewers of wood, chop wood, and carriers of water for the house of the Lord, for worship and for the temple. Francis Schaeffer traces the history of the Gibeonites through the scripture. The Gibeonites remained close to the altar of God. Though they were only hewers of wood and drawers of water, their activity was on behalf of worship of the living God, and it led gradually to a place of religious privilege. When the land was divided, Gibeon was one of the cities given to the line of Aaron, the priesthood. It became a special place where God was known. 400 years later, David put the tabernacle in that city. This meant that the altar and the priest were in Gibeon as well. At least one of David's mighty men, who was closest to him, was a Gibeonite. At that important and solemn moment, when Solomon, David's son, ascended the throne, Solomon made burnt offerings at Gibeon. It was here he had a vision when God spoke to him about his rule. Much later, 500 years before Christ came in the time of Zerubbabel, the genealogies of those Jews who returned from captivity under the Babylonians included Gibeonites. Included Gibeonites. Gibeonites were mentioned in the list of the people who helped rebuild the wall with Nehemiah. Gibeonites had come in among the people of God at this point, and hundreds of years later, they were still there. The Lord had blessed them, even though they had come in by a ruse, but really it was Joshua's fault because he did not seek the Lord. So God will use the stupid. Doesn't mean he will remove the consequences that we will face because we were stupid. But when we act stupidly, when we don't seek the Lord and his counsel first, we must bear the consequences of that. We have, sometimes we have to take it on the chin, but if we give our word, if we have acted in a way that, that we have chosen, even if there are consequences, we still have to keep our word of who we are because we represent not just, I don't represent just Randy, I represent my Heavenly Father. And if Randy makes a promise, then it has to be that way. Joshua made a promise. He did so in error, but yet he had to keep it. Let's pray. Lord, we all have times in our lives where we have not waited for you, where we have run far ahead of you. We have not sought your wisdom. We have not sought your counsel. We have not sought out faithful friends and asked their input. We have not looked at your word and we have come to conclusions or decisions or taken actions that were just not right. Lord, we are, as a group, sinful and stupid people. But yet it is to us that you have extended your grace. It is to us that the plan of salvation has come. Lord, you have opened the doors for us. 
You have shown us in your word how it is we are to act. But in our own selfishness, our own timetables, we think you ought to inform us now. Okay, Lord, I'm going to make this decision in two days. Tell me quickly. When perhaps that decision doesn't have to be made in two days. For your timing is always perfect. You are never late. You are never late. Lord, for those things that perhaps are looming in our lives, where we have erred, might we act justly, even though it's been our fault, even though we have been stupid. Might we keep our word. Might we walk in humility and and learn from these things that we need to seek you and walk by faith and not by sight, to test the things of this world according to the things of your word, that we might gather that wisdom and that insight and rely upon you in all decisions, in all actions that we take, that we might never run ahead nor lag behind, but walk in step with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn in preparation for communion is 419. For many of you, this may be a, a new hymn, but I, uh, the words are very appropriate as we uh, prepare for communion.